No, she yeah, your sexy dance theory's gone right out the window, hasn't it? Yeah, it wasn't true. Let's be honest. <laughs> and and the the real the real sort of the real tragedy of that is that Parker's in the clear now. He's not some pervy butler. This is the point where the book did fly across the room. <laughs> <laughs> now, funnily enough, we, we obviously live quite a lot of miles away from one another, but I, I do think I remembered uh, one, one night hearing <laughs> Carried on the Wind sort of anguished cry. Hello and welcome to Shark Liver Oil. It's part four, the final part of uh, our coverage of Agatha Christie's The Murder of Roger Ackroyd, in which, I would expect, we'll find out who murdered Roger Ackroyd. I'm Matt. I'm Dave, hello. Are you ready to find out the murderer, Dave? I'm ready, Matt. I'm ready. Are you? Just about. Just about. <laughs> we've, got a, we've got a few chapters to get through before we get there, and um, I'll warn you now, it, it came as a surprise and not altogether a pleasant one when I found out who it was, but we, we, we'll discuss that once we get to the end. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if, you're read, Brilliant. Yes. if you're reading along with us, um, so uh, this bit, obviously we're going to the end of the book, we're reading from uh, chapter 18, which was called Charles Kent. Uh, when we last uh, left off from this and we last finished, there was a bit of a breakthrough because... The uh, police had arrested someone um, sort of outside the area. <gasps> yeah, so it turned out to be Charles Kent, this guy with the dodgy American accent. <laughs> <laughs> He's still untrustworthy because of his accent. We can say we called that correctly, even if we assumed that he was going to be doing this absurd, oh, I'm a cockney governor sort of <laughs> voice, which he turned out not to be assuming. Or maybe yeah. he is. Well, This is, after all, a mystery novel. Uh, now, they go and see him um, in the sort of police questioning room, uh, the interview room, and Dr. Shepard recognises him. Um, he says it's the guy that he saw. He thinks it's the guy he saw looking for Fernley Park. Um, it turns out this guy is also a heroin addict. Um, I tell you what, it's, it's topical, this, isn't it? Like, yeah. of all the things you wouldn't expect to come across in a sort of... In this book where the Daily Mail is reasonable reading matter for your average person and everything revolves around the two big houses of the town and there doesn't seem to be any delinquency anywhere. Like, there's, there's no... Sorry. There doesn't seem to be any sort of urban poverty anywhere. No. Um, uh, and yet here we have, like, a smack problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't see that coming, did you? Not, not really, no. Um, and also the fact that the, the, the goose quill now... Um, becomes important because that's how they uh, that's how they did heroin it's sort of the it's the sort of 19th century version of the <laughs> teaspoon isn't it <laughs> <laughs> tell you what it's a classier version isn't it really it's a far more delicate Victorian way of cooking up your <laughs> yeah <laughs> cooking up skag but using a feather because nice you know because we still need to maintain the sense of uh, of um, of aesthetics here yeah, <laughs> he comes out with the great um, Charles Kent comes out with a great insult as well to towards Poirot. He calls him a little foreign cock duck, which is well, a bit weird. Well, now I'm going to assume that what he means there is a male duck, and that that was somehow kind of a worse thing to be than a female duck. <laughs> but I, I do quite like that. Like I just imagine him kind of getting really angry and being like, "You little foreign cock duck." <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> like just wanting to enhance it somehow, but realizing that the word cock generally comes at the end of insults. You know, <laughs> you you little cock d- d- duck. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it sounded like. Um, English was his second language, and it's like uh, you little foreign cock dog, like like you'd say <laughs> you English pig dog. Is the co- collection of insults? It's, like, it's a really bad insult in his primary language, in his mother tongue. <laughs> yeah. But then, but then in English, it translates to something completely ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it just doesn't translate. But anyway, that was that was his insult of choice. Maybe I'm going to carry on. I'm going to start calling people cock ducks from now on. <laughs> Yeah. You cock duck. <laughs> what? You're a yeah. cock duck. Yeah, have it. Yeah. Maybe the, the heroine's just sort of spaghetti in his head up. So he's, uh, can't <laughs> think <Deary> me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's, it's well said that the first thing you lose in the case of serious class A drug addiction is your ability to put together proper snappy insults. Absolutely. That's the real tragedy. That's how you'll know when I've started sliding down that slope, Matt, is when I'm not able to come up with anything more inventive to call you than a cock duck. <laughs> Um, Keep an eye. This guy says that uh, he, you know, he he did he okay he did go to Fernley Park, um, but he left before the murder happened, so it can't be him. Mm. And um, oh, at this point, we also find out that the prints on the uh, on the knife were in fact Ackroyd's as well. Um, so <sighs> it was a yeah, it was just some a, tricksy bollocks going trick. on there, isn't there? Yeah. And now at this stage, apparently, Shepard and Poirot go for a, a meal afterwards, and Shepard thinks that this is the point now where, looking back, Poirot knew all, um, but we're not privy to what he knows or how. Um, on to chapter 19, Flora Ackroyd. It's sort of Kent, Charles Kent's story of, of, of sort of visiting the pub roughly at the time where the murder was supposed to happen is collaborated. It's, that's apparently true. So he's kind of off the hook, this guy now. Suddenly, <laughs> was it, is that? Do you think that is the the, the um, quickest turnaround in a yanking your char- yanking your audience around <laughs> piece of subplotting since that guy who turned up played by Woody Harrelson in No Country for Old Men and got shot after five minutes after <laughs> claiming himself to be a complete badass. <laughs> this is the sort of precursor of that. Was it him? Was it him? He shifty, dodgy accent, turned up, right place, right time. No, it wasn't. Moving on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was a bit strange. Uh, it fell a bit, I felt a bit of whiplash from it. The, uh, yeah. There's also this, really, this is the point where we get this really strange, just, thing dropped in as well where Poirot's got a nephew who's who's mad um, or as as is described in this chapter off his crumpet which <laughs> <laughs> and like while I like that as a colourful piece of phrasing you can just imagine them sitting around can't you in that kind of early 20th century kind of male way with the hat on and the big overcoat and the kind of not saying it at all for comic effect but just being like do you know? Do you know? Then he's completely off his crumpet. Off his crumpet. That's exactly what the doctor said. Off his crumpet. Off his crumpet is a diagnosis. You say he's crumpet. He is no longer resident on his crumpet. His crumpet is off. <laughs> his crumpet is just a speck in the distance, Dave. <laughs> his his location is far removed from that of his crumpet. Uh, Actually, yeah. should we do this? Is crumpet something that would translate outside an English context? Um, I assume so. I, I think most people know what a crumpet is these days. They're those, right. d- yeah, little sort of circular, uh, 
sort of kind of like doughy bready things that we eat for breakfast in England uh, with a bit of butter and uh, apparently I was always taught by my French teacher right when I was at school that we tried to export crumpets to France and they all thought they all thought they were rubbish, um, and then someone realised that no one had been putting butter on them in France, so it just tasted crap. I'm not sure how that's true. That's true. That they're, they're basically a butter <laughs> delivery. They're a sponge for butter, essentially. Is, yeah, is, yeah, um, a, is, is, yeah, is what they are. But <laughs> imagine what like what images is that calling to mind? If anybody out there doesn't know what a crumpet is, he's, he's off his crumpet. Is funny enough when you're thinking of a small tea cake type thing. He's off his crumpet. I don't know. Is it some sort of car? I don't. Know, is it an item of clothing? <laughs> I I have once seen. I don't know if anyone anyone in America listed if you um if you do know what a crumpet if you have, I've come across crumpets before, but I have seen an American use crumpets once um, in a sentence. Uh, it was online, and it was to it was by way of insults towards an English person. And it, <laughs> he said, it, "I think it was something it called some English person you, you, you crumpet eating jackass." I think it was. <laughs> I of all was the brilliant. things, all the insults you could chuck at the English. My word, you're going to go straight for our, our delicate tea cakes. Mm, not not sure that food's the place for America to stand really and claim a kind of. Uh, Ascendancy of cool there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Tea soaked, row family rule, crumpet eating. <laughs> <laughs> and I've heard you eat fish and chips as well. <laughs> Bastards. Anyway, yeah, so that's crump that, that's what a that's, crumpet is. He's off his crumpet, dearie yeah. me. Crumping's a dance as well, isn't it? We've been on this for too long. But yeah. you, to to crump it would be to kind of pop a few moves whilst crumping. I yeah. crumped it. I think it's also a posh euphemism as well. Oh, is it? A bit of crumpet. Oh, Oh, dear. Oh, it is. It's the worst. It's (laughs) in some way one of the worst linguistic expressions of patriarchy there is in the entire world. The idea that one could describe a woman as crumpet. Yeah. A bit of crumpet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We have been on on this too long, so let's let's move on. (laughs) Um, This is is the point where the Flora Ackroyd chapter, it's one of a series of things that happens now where something is revealed and... The, the sort of the person who's been keeping it covered up immediately confesses as soon as Farrell brings it up, which feels a bit sort of easy. Anyway, um, so this one is this is this is sort of moves the timeline suddenly now. Uh, we've assumed for a long time that the moment when Ackroyd was killed was actually later than it turns out to be true than what turns out to be true. So um, we've been led to believe that. Ackroyd was alive um, for most of the evening because Flora Ackroyd said she saw him um, at a certain point. But now it turns out that she lied about that because she sort of she wasn't in the room. She was going stealing some money from his office, and the butler sort of nearly saw her coming down the stairs. So she sort of ran to the door to where Ackroyd was and then pretended she was coming out and said, "Oh yeah, he's alive." Don't <laughs> say he's alive. He doesn't want to be observed. Dearing yeah. me, not to be trusted that Flora. Yeah, do you, reckon, do you reckon it was her? Is this a? Are we going in a Flora direction now? Well, I finished it now, so it's hard to, at this point. Yeah, possibly. actually, that's that's irritating, isn't it? Because we know we know what the ending is, and <laughs> um, we will address our feelings about that ending <laughs> when we get there in about fifteen minutes of 
ball breaking restraint before we let <laughs> fall. Yeah. So uh, yeah, well, Flora again. Flora confesses straight away. Oh yes, it was. I just that that's what I did, uh, and and Major Blunt tries to cover for her. Um, he says, "Oh no, she she didn't she didn't steal any money. Um, you know, she's just she's just lying uh, mistakenly. Somebody uh, just she didn't do it." And then, <laughs> and he is exactly as convincing as that sentence was in your. That was a great rendition of yeah. the tone, if not the content, of his particular his argument. No, he she didn't good, just didn't. No, 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 no. Yeah. Uh, Poirot follows Major Blunt outside then and basically plays Agony Ant here. He says, you know, I know why you, uh, I know why you're covering for her. He actually, he, he reminds me here a little bit of the, do you know the candlestick in Beauty and the Beast? You must tell her how you feel. Uh, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> you're right, that is absolutely the role that Poirot plays in this scene. You must tell her your emotions. <laughs> And, Major and you see, and it comes across as it sounds like somebody who speaks French as their first language. You just assume <laughs> that they know what they're talking about there, they, yeah. like kind of like, oh, okay, I'll take your advice. But if somebody came to you with an English accent and was like, kind of, you quite like it, don't you? You should talk to it. You'd be like, no, nah, fuck off. <laughs> you're somehow this is some sort of complicated ruse. <laughs> but with the French, you're like, kind of, oh, that's good advice. Yeah, romance <laughs> advice from a French person. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, I know the whiz. Oh love, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing that, that that is true, but also Blunt becomes the latest in in what becomes a long list of characters who are basically sort of putty in Poirot's hands. As soon as he suggests something, they just agree. It's <laughs> 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 like, oh yes, yes, it was me who did this, and oh yes, yes, this is, yeah. oh yes, I will go and do that, and yeah. He seems That's, to have that is true and not a little bit troubling yeah. to me. What what do you think of this? Like, I'm, there's a little bit of me which is sort of. Hmm. Hmm. Like, is this is this a is this consistent to a kind of believable character? Because it's supposed to, you know, one of the great characters of twentieth century writing. But um, the fact that he all everybody else has secrets, but Poirot just looks at them and goes, "Kind of, I see through you." And they go, "Yes, you do, don't you? Good heavens! I better <laughs> I better tell everybody else for the sake of the exposition." Um, you know, I don't know how kind of how realistic that is. You know. Yeah, I think it's more. I think it's more a comment of the other characters that have Poirot. I think Poirot is quite a well, well realized and uh, well drawn character, but I think a lot of the others um, are, are very thin um, and mm. don't seem to don't seem to have much of a thought, much of their own thoughts, other than just serving this general plot. We then move on to chapter twenty, Miss Russell. Mm. Um, there's another Inspector Raglan theory at the start of this. This is a problem as well. At this stage, it's so obvious that Poirot is uh, like almost godlike. He he's always right. That whenever mm. like Inspector Raglan comes out with a theory, I can just I just safely sort of scan read it, knowing that it's going to be rubbish. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and- See, the thing that gets me, and which I quite like about that, is that I can imagine the people in the room doing the same thing. Like, <laughs> Raglan just kind of goes, no, no, you hands on lapels, you know. I think you've all completely misunderstood the nature of what's going on here. And you just see them all kind of, like, 
just kind of curl off, just sort of like one's studying his fingernails, the other one's looking <laughs> at the sky, thinking about what he's going to have for dinner tonight, the other one's thinking about errands he's got to run on the way home. Raglan is completely impervious, so it's totally oblivious to the entire thing. Well, and, and that, of course, is how... I'm surprised nobody else has noticed. <laughs> uh, we've come to the situation that... Good heavens, nobody's listening to me. <laughs> Am I a twat? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can imagine everybody else ignoring. I think that's a bit of a problem, though, because I think it would be better if, like, when he comes up with the theory, you think, oh, yeah, maybe that could be the case. You know, just keep the mystery going. By this stage, Mm. I'm just thinking, well, Poirot obviously knows um, he's never wrong, so I've just got to wait for him to just tell us what he's already found out now. Mm. Yeah, actually, that's true, isn't it? Yeah, that's very true. I, I think it's a I think it's a better a better book if we if we don't if we're not sure that Poirot's going to get it right. Mm. You lose a lot of the tension once you know that, and it's obvious that he is. Yes, that's uh, that, true. In my opinion. <laughs> Although that would that would be a hell of a twist, wouldn't it? Agatha Christie writes a novel, and the first novel we choose of Agatha Christie's is the one she writes where Poirot gets it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, or maybe not even that he gets it wrong, but that he. He's struggling to find out whether it's right, and maybe he's led down a blind alley once or twice, or something like that. You know, um, something that he thinks might be important turns out not to be, but he realizes. He just seems mm. to. It just seems so uniform. This where everything he looks at is worth looking at. Every theory he comes up with leads into the final grand theory. Mm. It, it just seems so. It just seems too easy. But anyway. It's interesting, isn't it, actually? He's not really a character in that sense, is he? He's a plot device. Like, he's the major character. He's the person who appears in them all, and he's the person you come back for. But you come back because Agatha Christie creates these scenarios where the plot is opaque and confusing, and then there's somebody who gets it and who you quite like, right? Yeah. So you don't... um, you, You kind of... He's kind of an avatar for the for you and your desire to believe that you're a good detective, rather than being a character whose actual whose development you care about. Yeah, which now I think about it is actually true of like all the other um, all the other like particularly detective TV shows, right? You know the stuff about like Inspector Morse being a being a, an alcoholic, or yeah. um, uh, Inspector Frost not having a very good home life, and the rest of it is is sort of like. I don't know about you, but I just never cared about those scenes. I was always like, oh, yeah, he's a real person too. Yeah, can we get back to the murder now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so maybe that's, what, maybe that's what the audience demands. Yeah. Maybe it's written for a, a different type of reader than me as well, because that, as, we've, as we've come across in the past, I sort of read books for characters. That's, that's what I'm a real sucker for, a really good sort yeah. of uh, being able to imagine these as real people. And sometimes yeah. that's not what you read a book for. Um, and I can Absolutely. appreciate that. I like the third person in that sentence. Sometimes that's not what you read a book for. <laughs> I, however, read with sophistication. <laughs> no, that wasn't aimed at you. That was just a general you. <laughs> no, I, my, by which I mean that's a completely legitimate thing because I read for the plot and almost the plot alone. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway. Um, and both are valid. That's the thing. Uh, you, you know, everyone's welcome right to Liver Oil. It's no right or wrong in reading, um, unless you like Fifty Shades of Grey, and then there is a wrong. Yeah, let's be clear, that's <laughs> fucking wrong. Um, okay, so this Miss Russell bit, um, just basically Poirot asks Dr. Shepard to, to sort of lure Miss Russell over. I think he's actually, Poirot's made an appointment 
for her to see him, for her to see Dr. Shepard. Mm. Um, oh, before she arrives, we find out that Poirot's printed a fake story. Well, he's, he's given a fake story to the newspaper about Ralph being arrested because um, he, he wants to move, he basically wants to move the plot on and he's taking it into his own hands. <laughs> <laughs> Again, you see, he's our avatar in the book. At this point, we're sitting there going, come on, come on, all right. Charles Kent is from Kent, and that matters, but it doesn't matter because he's not there, because fuck it, right, let's move it along. And just when you want somebody to do it, Poirot steps up and goes, come on, everybody, can we move this along a little bit quicker, please? I have some marrows to grow. <laughs> and throw over the fence. And throw over the fence at people. Oh, <laughs> you. Please excuse me. <laughs> I have thrown a marrow. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, Russell, uh, Miss Russell arrives, and uh, she's told of this sort of shift in, in time scale now, which has put this Charles Kent back in the frame for murder. And that leads her to immediately collapse her resistance and, and say, okay, um, I'll confess what I know. And it turns out she she met Charles Kent in the summer house that night. Mm. Um, and it's because it's her son. But she says, you know, he's not guilty. Uh, he just came to me for money. I gave him some and he left. Um, it's nothing to do. He's nothing to do with Ackroyd. He didn't go to the house. Um, now, earlier on, when Poirot was speaking to Kent, he um, asks him his name. He asks him where he was from, and he says, "I thought you were from Kent because of your name." Um, is this kind of like Game of Thrones, where if you're an illegitimate child, <laughs> you get the name of the place that you're from, like 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 Jon Snow? What should we call him? What should we call him, Charles? I don't know, Ken. Uh, this could be worse. Having spent a little time in Kent, you could have called him Charles Pub Fight or <laughs> Char- <laughs> Charles Overly Crowded Motorway. Yeah. Um, no, no disrespect to anybody from Kent, but you know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, though. Ge- genuinely, yeah. that could be something they used to do. Um, it could be, but I've to. never heard of it happening. No. But then again, actually, I discovered the other day that it's sort of. You know, to like to you and me, the idea of somebody's surname somehow being related to where their ancestors are from, sort of thing, yeah. is quite. You know, that's a thing, right? You know, you know, yeah. such and such, you know, whatever it is. You know, even like English or London or whatever. You know, it's because way back when somebody, one of their ancestors, their defining characteristic was where they were from. Yeah. Um, uh, but I was having a conversation um, with uh, with some members of my family who are from North America, and they were like, "What?" No, what? That doesn't make any sense. What do you mean there was a town? There's no town with our surname on it. I was like, I bet you a million there are. Hmm. And and it turned out to be true, so it's really cool. But um, but yeah, so I don't know. I could be. This could be a tradition that's completely passed me by. This <laughs> illegitimate baby gets named after the hospital he was born in. Yeah, well, it could be. Lots of Toms and Guys in London. Right? <laughs> well, like I say, uh, George R. R. Martin tends to steal bits of sort of... Uh, European medieval culture um, and appropriate it so that could be one of the things he did there because yeah yeah, if you're if you're illegitimate in that universe you're named after sort of the area that you come from Um, the next bit is uh, Poirot actually believes her so we can all rest easy that the son her son isn't guilty um, and he says he's got a sound theory about it Mm. has Has he? Yeah, and do you uh, reckon he'll talk about that, or will he get murdered first? That I reckon he'll probably just uh, k- 
keep it to himself for a bit, I imagine, <laughs> as he tends to do. He loves a bit of that. Um, <laughs> we move on to the, uh, is it called the article in the paper? The paragraph in the paper. Um, the article is printed. Um, <laughs> we have this weird interlude um, uh, coming back again to Poirot's office crumpet nephew um, <laughs> and uh, Caroline uh, you remember Dr Shepard's sister is talking about, is saying you know, if Ralph gets sent down he should pretend he's insane um, I hear that Broadmoor's more like a high class club than a prison <laughs> <laughs> Really? It was said back then as well. Because that's been a trope in flipping in, in ridiculous critiques of the British prison system. I was about but to say, uh, we now know who's reading that newspaper. In the yes. <laughs> <laughs> the Daily Mail haven't changed their editorial line in a century. Here is proof. It's like a holiday camp in there. <laughs> Watch now as it turns out immigration gives you cancer as well. That'll be the next thing. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, it also turns out Poirot had a visitor this morning, and uh, Caroline assumes it's a, a home office expert to sort of go over some, you know, forensics, basically. Uh, but she's no real reason to believe that. She just thinks from the way the guy looked. She's a fantastic generator of flipping, of bizarre, potentially meaningful plot points that are actually <laughs> bollocks isn't she <laughs> yeah. like she's just it's like it's like having a crazy person like a cra- somebody who's like kind of like crazily kind of outgoing and kind of talking to cover up something they feel guilty about in in a conversation with you where they just don't stop talking you're like you are distracting me from everything <laughs> else that's going on in the room but i can't stop watching you know <laughs> what i mean yeah uh Paro turns up and says that he wants dr shepherd to organize a little sort of get together of all the suspects. Yes, here it is. Yeah, come yeah. on, here he comes. They gather together in a room, and yeah. he looks at them all with his little mustache and his little face, and he says, "One of you is not being entirely truthful with me." <laughs> Except in a Belgian accent, obviously. Yeah, um, in uh, sort of news and classifieds, Floor and Major Blunt are now engaged. Uh, we find out. What what the fuck? What the actual <laughs> shivering fuck happened to I love Ralph, he'll be my Ralphie forever, Ralphie, Ralphie, I'm going to announce our wedding. What has he been? Two, a day and a half? And it turns out that she's like, oh, Blunt fancies me, does he? Rich, is he? Military man, is he? Fuck Ralph. Honestly, he's a military man, but he's dirt poor. Fuck him. Anyway, he's my cousin, that's weird. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the narrative for that has been that all along she had this thing for Major Blunt but she was out of sort of I don't know solidarity with Ralph and to protect him she was going along this line of I love him so much and I'm gonna sort of declare our so engagement out of solidarity for Ralph yeah. she's been pretending to be in love with him yeah I would argue that with friends like that you do not need enemies <laughs> I know what yeah. I'll do. It's, it's honestly, I'll, I'll, I'll it'll save him from prison, right? Is what I'll do is I'll break his heart. That's what I'll, that, that'll work. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, news of Ralph's arrest is up, has upset Jeffrey Raymond apparently. Yeah, and I bet he did, fancied him as well, didn't he? <laughs> he's not laughing now, is he? And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just love the idea of Raymond being this insufferably <laughs> chirpy wanker and somebody actually in the in the text going to him and being like, not smiling any fucking more, are you? Hey? 
Shut up. Yeah. yeah. And uh, as we as we return back to Doctor Shepard's house, it turns up it turns out that Ursula Bourne, remember this uh, this other housemaid, the sexy oh, yeah. housemaid who I thought with no with no killed. alibi, eh? Yeah. I thought she was the sexy dance housemaid who was going to kill Roger Ackroyd. Um, no. she, yeah, your sexy dance theory has gone right out the window, hasn't it? Yeah, it wasn't true. Let's be honest. <laughs> and and the the real the real sort of the real tragedy of that is that Park is cl- in the clear now. He's not some pervy butler. Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> this is a shame. I, okay, it troubles me that you consider discovering that there wasn't somebody standing on the other side of a, a keyhole. <laughs> fapping as if his life depended on it you you experience that as a bad thing in the narrative i am forced to question what sort of books are you hoping that we read next okay in this in this series (laughs) if you say 50 shades of gray i quit all right i'm not doing it if we were in the same room i would ask you now to look me in the eye and tell (laughs) me that that pervy butler fapping through the keyhole (laughs) twist would not have been a better twist than the one that's in this book. Uh, um, <laughs> it would have had comedy value, far outstripping the ultimate outcome of this particular episode. You've got to admit, it would be more of a surprise. It, it Certainly in a novel that was published in the first half of the 20th century, it would have been fucking astonishing. <laughs> but it was not to be, anyway. <laughs> And one of the great opportunities of 19th, early 20th century literature goes begging. Crying uh, bloody shame, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so Ursula, anyway, uh, turns up. And um, it's not Ursula Bourne, it's Ursula Patton. Wait, what? Who's Patton? Say again. It's Ralph. Oh, she, oh, she's, oh. She's Mrs. Ralph. Hey. All right, yeah. so I, I, I've gone through this entire novel with my prime suspect and the man that I've identified as the person most likely to have done the murder and forgotten his name at every possible moment. <laughs> Ralph Patton, is he? Int- I'll yeah. remember that for the rest of the novel. Yeah, so we get a bit of her backstory. She was an impoverished noble person who ended up taking a job as a parlour maid. Uh, she had this secret like marriage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah she had- like Blackadder. In many ways, like Blackadder. <laughs> She had this secret marriage to Ralph that basically got it together. Um, then, uh, basically, he Ralph, Ralph married her. Then he was told to marry Flora if he wanted to get Ackroyd's money. So he said, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> He's, I, having, having been painted as the sort of massively wronged, Absentee kind of uh, accused. He's not. He's not now covering himself in very much glory, is he? <laughs> so, well, so you're telling me that unless I disavow my wife, I won't become fantastically rich. Fuck it. <laughs> yeah. Who's who's she? Mrs. Who? Mrs. <laughs> Patton? I think not. Well, apparently Ralph was waiting for the right time to tell to tell Ackroyd. Uh, in the meantime, the news of this engagement gets out, and Ursula heard it, and obviously wasn't best impressed. So stormed in to see Ackroyd and told him that she'd married Ralph. That caused all kinds of trouble. And then she ended up meeting Ralph in the summer house as well on that night. Um, mm. It was a busy, it's like flipping Grand Central Station in a, on that night. <laughs> and she, she, she met him and, um, and they had this big row and then they left. And we go back to the question of could either her or Ralph have killed Ackroyd after this meeting 
and we, we, mm. we return to this question about the boots the boots which were used in the you know which the murderer was wearing well 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 um, chapter 23 Poirot's little reunion okay you ready we're getting towards all right, the sort is, of is this the it because he's now gathered them all together in a room two times before now and it hasn't resulted in him going and it was you Mr. <laughs> X it was you I say if that doesn't happen here I'm going to be very disappointed yeah it sounds like Shepard's kept a diary um, like Poirot's old partner Hastings is Hastings some character that turns up in other books yeah so he's the sort of the most English character in the history of English literature <laughs> um, if you ever watch the you ever get a chance to watch the old um, the TV series they made of Poirot um uh yeah like he's 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 just the most oh that's terribly nice of you very lovely i'm very english you know like that that character that stereotype yeah hastings he's even called hastings you know what i mean right um does this mean that this book is we're supposed to take from this that we are reading the diary of shepherd um well this places us in a difficult position, doesn't it? Because, I mean, yes, um, but it's in chapter form rather than diary form, isn't it? Yeah. So has he gone through afterwards and written in the chapter titles? Or what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what shall I call this one? I think I will call this one Flora Ackroyd. Yeah. I don't know. Like, that's, yeah. Because I think this is the only get out for, the, for, for the, an excuse for the ending. Um, <laughs> is that it turns out to be the thing. So it turns out to be a diary rather than you know actually being in this guy's head. But uh, yeah. it's not. It's not written like a diary, so it, it, it's probably not. But I just thought I'd suggest it as a possible. Well, I I, I think I have the suggestions. Okay, um, well, we'll, we'll, we'll say. I I have a suggestion for what it actually is. Um, okay. All right. Yeah. We, we, we shall we shall get to it in good time. Um, we, we're teasing this quite well. The the end. Yeah, uh, anyway, we are actually, aren't we? Yeah, let's see. The tension is building. <laughs> um, it's also was just straining at the beach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the, we get everybody together. Um, Poirot says that Caroline's not invited and she's gutted, but she should be quite pleased. It basically means she's in the clear because he's just getting the suspects together here. Um, he tells all the suspects about you know this marriage, reveals the marriage. He lays out the, the facts so far as, uh, as he understands them. And we come to this overheard conversation, which seemed to prove that Ackroyd was still alive at a certain point. And the the bit that Jeffrey Raymond apparently overheard coming from the coming from the study where Ackroyd was was this 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 line: "The calls on my purse have been so frequent of late that I fear it's impossible for me to accede to your request." So it's obviously sounds like he's talking to someone. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Then it turns out that, um, I won't go into the details, but he wasn't actually speaking to anybody in the room. He was reading aloud into a dictaphone, which he'd bought. Do you remember this guy he turned up ages ago, the dictaphone salesman? <laughs> what, the, um, the Mr. Mr. Basil plot device of <laughs> yeah. the, the, the Northamptonshire plot devices? Yeah. <laughs> Who had uh, arrived to deliver a, um, a plot device? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, um, a, a dictaphone device. Yeah. What did What did you make of this? Um. Well, I yeah. I mean, all right, okay, fair enough. Although, like, why did he need to 
dictate it then and there? Like, <laughs> and like, and also he must have been projecting quite loudly, right? Like, like if you're, you know, if you're dictating a letter or something, you know, you're just kind of talking in an all tone of voice. You're not projecting so that it reached through an oak panelled door. Yeah, I, you know, memo to self was the dictaphone really big <laughs> on the other side of the room or something? Memo to self, I find it impossible to accede to your request. Or indeed answer you at all without projecting. <laughs> no, actually, I think that's really realistic because it's like when people who aren't used to using, like, phones <laughs> use a phone for the first time and they really project it. Hello? <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant. That's like um, the, uh, dictation software. You ever tried to use dictation software? No. God, that's how the machines will take over, Matt. That's how they'll send us all mental and turn us into homicidal lunatics. Is fucking dictation software. If he'd have been doing this through dictation software, it would have sounded like this. And I find, delete, find, delete. Not fucking mind, you stupid machine. Find, delete, 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 delete. Find it impossible, delete, Impossible, not impassable. Oh, for fuck's sake! And then just throws the thing out the window. That's the way it would have been. <laughs> then every fucker yeah. in the entire county would have heard him. <laughs> it's like the, uh, the the louder version of predicted text. Uh, predicted text <laughs> like that for me. The number of times I've sent something like, um, "I can't believe this is ducking happening." <laughs> <laughs> the dramatic climax to this uh, to this chapter is that suddenly. Someone's in the doorway. <gasps> it's Ralph. <gasps> this is oh, the so moment. He's turned it to apologise to the two women he's been stringing along, has he? <laughs> this is the moment where I, <clears throat> I kind of realise that I'm kind of off the rails a bit here because I'm not. <sighs> when this sort of t- when twists are happening now, I'm not going. Oh, great! Oh, that's a, that's really interesting. Oh, how's that happened? I'm. I, I read this and thought. Uh, there better be a bloody good explanation for how he's just <laughs> Now, right, okay, so what you're experiencing right now is what I experienced for almost the whole of A Feast for Crows. <laughs> when we were doing that, and I'm like, you had better, George, you had better have a damn good explanation for why you have made me care about these characters walking around at Westeros for 16 years. You had better have a... So I'm completely... You are, aren't you? You get dumped out of the story where you're like, this doesn't interest me, the last thing didn't interest me, please tell me the thing that interests me. <laughs> no, chapter 24, the truth. Here it comes. Um, well, it turns out Dr. Shepard's been hiding Ralph. And at this point, I, I nearly threw the book across the room. I've just written <laughs> bollocks. <laughs> like, and, he's, and he hasn't thought about it throughout the entire book. Yeah, like, like even on. in his internal monologue, he's never once thought, God, it's a good job I've got Ralph tucked away somewhere, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Good job about that. Wouldn't that be something that people might like to know, even if they're reading about these events many years after the fact? Wouldn't <laughs> that be fascinating? Yeah. You bastard. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a problem for me, but we'll, we'll, we'll go into that in more detail a bit later on for what will become <laughs> obvious reasons. Um, Poirot says that he knows who the murderer is and that it's better for them to confess them for him to just take it to the authorities so he's basically giving them a chance he's saying look confess now and it'll be easier for you if you don't tomorrow I'm going to go and tell the police who it is 
And this seems like mm. a ridiculous thing to do, really. It's basically saying, I know the murderers. If you're the murderer, you've got a day to run away. <laughs> but anyway, um, chapter 25, The Whole Truth. And, uh, yeah, There's the chap- a chapter I've been waiting for. Yeah. So everyone um, leaves apart from Shepard and Poirot. They have a little hang on, chat. Hang on, hang on, hang on. So you mean to say, sorry, I just want to note before we move on to the whole truth, that the the scene where he got everybody together in a room for the third time in the novel and said, I'm going to tell you, and then he didn't tell them, was not, in fact, the whole truth. <laughs> Fucking Poirot! No. <laughs> uh, sort of, uh, Shepard can't quite understand why Poirot's delaying here. And Poirot's like, I have my ways. They have have a talk about this, uh, this this sort of chair being moved. Remember, this big chair had been moved yeah, in the yeah, room, yeah. And they were sort of wondered if that was important. Turns out there was a table behind it, which didn't. I mean, I, I actually flicked back and looked. It wasn't in the diagram. This table, um, when they drew the map of the room, it felt a bit. Of a oh really? Yeah. Oh, oh good. Um, <laughs> And apparently that the table was hidden because the dictaphone was on it, this massive dictaphone. Um, and also, and this is where the dictaphone really thing goes really off the deep end. It wasn't actually, what Jeffrey Raymond heard wasn't actually uh, Ackroyd talking into a dictaphone. It was Ackroyd's voice being played back out of a dictaphone. So they oh. must have a hell of a volume on it. Bloody hell, what's he got an amplifier strapped to it? <laughs> like, holding the speakers up next to the door? Very <laughs> me. Yeah, and apparently this... I mean, the funny thing is that they say this that this whole thing's been moved. This this table's this had to be hidden because whoever committed the murder couldn't remove the dictaphone. It was too bulky. And that was... I just have to sort of make sure that my image of a dictaphone and what a dictaphone would be at this time of writing are two different things because I imagine yeah. a dictaphone to be basically roughly the same size as a mobile phone mm. um, but it's obviously it was much bigger back then yeah yeah like prom- like mechanical or something actually he's recording on one of them wax drums isn't it yeah technology yeah. that's only available if you live in a temperate climate yeah <laughs> he's lucky that um it wasn't too warm or cold in the well too warm in the room because he could have <laughs> i cried could have sounded like he was having a stroke or something <laughs> <if> it, <laughs> part of the plan. Um, also this issue with the boots uh Paro says that he believes the 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 uh ralph's boots have been stolen from the pub um and then sort of used during the murder to sort of Uh, to 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 throw people off yeah Yeah. so basically Poirot says look it can only be someone who because you know Shepard's going come on you can tell me who's the murderer I'm really interested Uh, I bet he is and Poirot says (laughs) uh, it could only be hold it in Matt hold (laughs) it in Poirot says it could only be someone who had access to the pub to steal those boots knew about the dictaphone and uh, had the opportunity to take the dagger out of that cabinet. Do you know the mm. ornate dagger? <laughs> why Why he didn't use any other dagger, I will never any know. Any other anyway. knife that might have been available in this enormous <laughs> household with a big kitchen. <laughs> yeah. I've got to use the one with the ornate handle, otherwise this murder is going to feel quite tawdry. <laughs> it turns out the murderer is Dr. Shepard. 
<laughs> and, and Dave, this is the point where the book did fly across the room. <laughs> <laughs> now, funnily enough, we, we obviously live quite a lot of miles away from one another, but I, I do think I remembered uh, one, one night hearing <laughs> Carried on the Wind sort of anguished cry. It sounds something like, Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Carried on the, the global jet stream from your house to mine. Oh my days. I know, right? Um I know. so let, let, let's just let's just burst through these last two chapters um as the sort of aftermath breaks out here. Um the and nothing but the truth. Uh it turns out Dr. Shepherd was the blackmailer and uh he basically killed Ackroyd to keep it a secret and then right. got an accomplice to phone him from Liverpool sta- from to phone him from the train station. Just before um, the Liverpool train. Just before the Liverpool train. Um, to say that, you know, to basically, again, throw people off the scent. <sighs> well. <laughs> what were your feelings about this, Matt? Well, uh, let's, the very last bit is uh, uh, apologia. Uh, apologia? Yes. Uh, apologia. <laughs> apologia. If you call it an apologia again, I'm going to find you. And I'm, oh, dear. No. <laughs> apology, I think. It could be apology. No, I, I wouldn't know what I... I only learned English from books. <laughs> um, this is this is Dr. Shepard writing at five in the morning saying, Aha, it was I. Uh, I did do it. And then he uh, he kills himself. Uh, well, he's just about to commit suicide um, mm. to get out. Which basically, um, I think, technically, means he's the only murderer who didn't end up being arrested um, as a result of Poirot's investigations. Um Mm. And that's the end. And I, so yeah, we can talk about this now. Um, is it a problem that the narrator of this book is the killer and he hasn't narrated anything to give you that impression? Well, it's one thing. I, it is interesting. You know, you've got to have a twist on on the mystery novel, right? And and you know, she's well known for writing mystery novels at this point in her career, I think. So she has to kind of do something new or different so I like that and it kind of as it kind of works if you're reading this in 1926 and you don't have another century of people doing quite meta writing because mm. now rather than just kind of going oh I said that's terribly clever oh it's awfully clever there was the, the, the chap all along we go back and we read it for mistakes because we're so used to like narratives that reach for this and fail and you know it's why narratives that try and do this kind of thing and succeed like um, Memento yeah. um, which is uh, it's obviously different in concept and so on but it has that thing where you go back and you watch it again and you're like it all fits together whereas I go back and I read this again which I did and I go oh no that doesn't fit because why wouldn't he why would he present himself as a as a completely innocent and totally baffled bystander you know like why would he why would he present himself as being the thing he was pretending to be in a manuscript that was supposed to be about um well he says at the end doesn't he like catching catching Poirot out yeah like kind of writing an account of his failure so he must have been writing it in the past tense while it was still going on um which I find a little bit curious to be honest 
Yeah. Like I ultimate ultimately like as a conceit when you when you know the ending the beginning doesn't make any sense. Um, yeah. Although although I will say this and we actually called this didn't we? We called this. We were like wouldn't it be weird if it turned out to be Shepard but oh no it can't be Shepard because he would have written something about it. Well, yeah. it turns out we had too high an opinion of the structure of the novel. <laughs> and and yeah. kind of and I think also because you ever read um uh, Filth by Irvin Welsh. Uh, I haven't. No, it's, it's uh, no, it's not the sequel to Train Spine. It's the bloke who wrote Train Spine. It's the one who wrote yeah. after that. But it's, I mean, it's Irvin Welsh, so it's weird and it's crazy. It's really good book, really well written. Um, but that's from the inside of somebody dealing with the fact that they have committed these murders. Yeah. Um, as well as everything else, you know, he's committing, dealing with the kind of horrific things that he's done. Um, yeah. And so, and that you get all sorts of drama out of that. Now, fair yeah. enough, she's not trying to write that sort of novel, but there's still a little bit of it where I'm like, oh, but you could have done something so much more so much yeah. more interesting in it. I'll tell you what as well, actually. There's another book which does this much better, and you're going to laugh at me because I know you don't really rate him as an author, but um, Ian Banks wrote a book called Complicity, which I will not spoil for you, but attempts to address this broad sort of area of, like, it's a who done it, yeah. Whose central character may have done it, and all right. you know is may or may not, and kind of it really gets that ambiguity, and it really works as a narrative all the way through. Yeah, um, and that's why it's called complicity, right? Um, uh, but um, this is this felt a bit weak to me. How about you? Yeah, well, it's a, it's a, it's actually a. A, a, a well-known device, isn't it? I think it's, it's called the unreliable narrator, um, and it has been used. Yeah, but as a literary device, that was invented yeah. in this sort of period of time, right? Yeah. So we're kind of looking back at it from another century of the unreliable narrator. Yeah, I think it for that. The thing is, it can work that, but I don't think it works here. And I think the reason is that for it to work, one or two things have to happen. One has to be there has to be sort of clear clues as to this guy isn't t- might not be telling the truth or at least some kind of there has to be some reason for him not to be telling the truth and the thing is that, that's why I said before if this is written as a diary I think it's a better story because yeah. he could be writing it and trying to make it give the impression that he's not the murderer fine but because you're just supposed to be in his head there's no there's no reason for him to, to think that to, to try and think in a way that doesn't make you think he's the murderer. Actually, yeah, that's true. Like his because she's writing it in the first person, and the first person is a standard like way of writing has certain norms, and one of those norms is that you hear about what they're thinking. Yeah. Um. Then you don't. That yeah. Then it kind of breaks down. Wouldn't it have been interesting if she'd have written it as a like first person, but like managed to make it so that he never talked about his thought processes? Yeah. Yeah. It could. Could be that, yeah. Um, yeah. And also, I mean, I'm trying to think of other examples. I don't want to give specific examples, because obviously you, you, you spoil the uh, the endings of things then. But there are books, for example, when, um, say, you've got a, a book in the first person of someone who's a schizophrenic, mm. and and then it's written from one point of view, and then you find out then, oh, it's hit, you know. It's him. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Obviously, I'm sure you can think of examples. I won't mention them in case people haven't seen them or read them. But, um, but yeah, and that that makes sense because 
okay, yeah, th- this person hasn't thought about doing these other things, but it's because yeah. they don't know they're doing the other things. So it, it kind of makes sense. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I, I just think it's a. Uh, I, I think it's it's an un, unfair on the reader, especially if it's a mystery. You're supposed to be trying to work out who it is when there are other rules that are being broken that you have nothing about. It's kind of like playing a game where you don't know the rules, mm. and and if you're going to if if you're going to read a book as as a can you find out who the murderer is? I don't know. I just think I just th- I just yeah. think it, it feels like a cop out. This to me, I agree with that. And actually, I am now uh, I, I have here the idea of the unreliable narrator on Wikipedia. And um, it's time for another another Wikipedia safari with Dave. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, it's interesting that it actually notes the murder of Roger Ackroyd as a controversial example of the unreliable narrator. Yeah. Um, and, make, and puts it really well, I think. The narrator hides his central truths in the text, mainly through evasion, omission, and obfuscation, without ever overtly lying. Many readers at the time felt that the plot twist at the climax of the novel was nevertheless unfair. Hmm. And I agree with that completely. Like you haven't you haven't committed to that through the process of writing with this character, so yeah. I'm not convinced by it. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hmm. Bloody hell! Though. Oh shit! Can you imagine if we'd have? You know how at the beginning you thought that I'd read this and yeah. that I was going to sort of like sort of poke us through it and kind of do do my best <laughs> impression of Matt with the with the poker face that you do whenever we do Game of Thrones. We're like. Oh. <laughs> Interesting theory. <laughs> I would have killed myself with with um, with suppression. I would have like died <laughs> of trying to keep it in if I'd have had to like be like, oh really? Think this is Ralph, do you? Oh, Idris Flora. Oh, oh, very plausible. Oh yeah. <laughs> it was him. It was Shepard. It was him. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, if I'd have known this at the beginning, I probably would have been like, I would have been hating on Shepard for reasons that made no sense to you at all. Because he's quite an anodyne character, apart from that. Isn't he? Yeah. Would have been like fucking Shepard. You'd be like, why do you why do you hate Shepard? Ah, oh, it's a wrong and wrong and. <laughs> I mean, the only defense for it is that Shepard's basically a non-character because he's not. He's, there's hardly anything to him. Yeah. True. True. But, I mean, yeah. that's that's to me. That's not. It's not defense. It's. You know, no. it could have been done a lot better, in my opinion. Yeah. yeah. Um, not everyone agreed. So that um, we, we remain unconvinced with that, then. Um, yes. But not everybody um, sort of reacted by throwing this book across the room. Mm. Um, lots of people enjoyed it very, very much. It's a very Excellent. popular Excellent. book. Um, as we always do, I have some reviews from around uh, the internet. Unfortunately, because of the way we're recording these at the moment, we're quite a few weeks ahead of ourselves. So any feedback you've sent in over the last few weeks, we won't have received yet in some weird time loop because mm. um, the, obviously we were putting these out uh, weeks after we've recorded them. Uh, so if you do send feedback in, if you have sent feedback in to us, we will reply to you, um, but we're not going to be able to get it read out on the podcast today. Yeah. But I do have some um, reviews to read out from around the internet. <laughs> now, quite a lot of people put five stars. Um, I would say it isn't sort of the, the massive five-star avalanche that we've had for other books, but it's still considerably more five stars than anything else. Yeah, There's also yeah. a lot of people, and I'm not sure about this, a lot of people reviewing this claiming that they knew all along who the killer oh, was. fuck right <laughs> off. I'd fuck say off. I'd say one in every two or three reviews says I, I knew who the killer was. Did you? That's like 
that's like all the people who go it's that bit in Ocean's 12 isn't it where Bruce Willis is in it and everybody's saying oh I knew I mean from the moment when you know your wife doesn't talk to you I, I, I knew I knew and he's just like yeah interesting because it made quite a lot of money for a film that everybody seemed to understand everybody says that <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah Okay, so Jenna is a good example of this. Jenna says, I guess the killer. I feel like a smarty pants now. Yeah. She's also shared that with us. Thanks, Jenna. Yeah, thanks. Everybody's very impressed with you on the internet. <laughs> uh, Harini gave it five stars. Uh, she says, I-, I thought it was smart, and that I'd, uh, but I thought I'd figured out the real murderer, but I was just humoring myself. There's no way anyone will ever guess the ending of the book. <laughs> Not according to the rest of the internet, but anyway. <laughs> I, I appreciate this honesty of purpose. A, a truthful admission of, a, of, a, of being taken in on the yeah. internet is yeah. a, a rare and valuable flower. Yeah. Harini says, the ending will take you by surprise and you'll laugh at yourself because the whole thing was right in front of you all the time. <laughs> Can't agree with that, I'm afraid. <laughs> no, it was not in front of me the entire time. He purposefully kept it from me. <laughs> um, India uh, said, uh, sad to say, I think I've read almost every uh, novel Agatha Christie wrote. Um, most of them when I was in school. They're trashy, full of stereotypes, irritatingly formulaic, but she gets me every time so they, um, yeah. they actually quite yeah, like it yeah I mean if, what you, if you're coming to it for genre which I think is legit with Agatha Christie there's nobody nobody like her I think this yeah. happens to be a bit of a cop out but it's legit in the context of her, the rest of her work I think yeah uh, Barry gave it four stars uh, Barry says another all round enjoyable Christie novel uh, the first, it's the first time I guessed correctly Okay, congratulations, Barry. I believe you. <laughs> uh, he, he There's then, such bitterness, <laughs> Matt, isn't there? There's such <laughs> bitterness in it. <laughs> well, he then follows it up with, I'm getting good at these, which not, not that good if this is the first one you've got right, and I assume he's read a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Barry, well done, you got one. Um, memorable for a twist ending that may cause kidney failure in the unknowing reader. Kidney failure? Yeah, that's unusual, isn't it? Well... I mean, what causes your kidneys to fail? It's just a, 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 an unreliable narrator, apparently. Shit. That's uh, the. It should come with a health warning on the front, shouldn't it? May cause kidney failure due yeah. to narratively unorthodox <laughs> and probably not well, terribly well executed approaches to things. Yeah, you can hear it up and down the emergency rooms and the A and E departments. Has he been exposed to an unreliable narrator? He has. Right. You gods! I need something <laughs> predictable. Stat. Bring me Dan Brown's The Da Vinci Code. <laughs> um, Kat gave it four stars. Her review's one line. It's just, she got me. The cheeky bitch, she got me. <laughs> um, so she enjoyed it. We've got a couple of one-starers here. Uh, Sandy. Sandy says, not my kind of book at all. Wouldn't even give it one star. So Sandy's been uh, tragically... Um, forced into a one star because she can't leave no stars. She can't give it zero stars. No, it's a it's a shame for her. Um, but she, you know, she gave it the one star and then gave it a sub one star it a, review. A, a, a scathing review. <laughs> Speaking of scathing reviews, Rachel's good. This Rachel brings the burn. Rachel says, "Kind of funny in a weird way, like a serious Shakespeare play put on by children." Really? <laughs> on, on what level is this either like something put on by children, except astonishingly macabre Adams Family children, or indeed like Shakespeare? 
<laughs> not seeing it myself. How about you? Yeah, um, I mean, no, when I think about it, there's not a lot to sort of justify that comment. But uh, I, I always like a um, sort of good thing and then bad thing counterpunch as a, as a put down. Like a serious Shakespeare play put on by children. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> This is the autobahn. Yeah, it's that sort of. It's quite a cheap finishing line, isn't it? Oh, fair enough, fair enough. That's how it made you feel. I can't see it myself, but great. <laughs> uh, Will, uh, Will kind of sums it up for me. Actually, my problem with the book, and to be honest, it's not really the, this book for me. I, I'm not a massive fan of mystery stories anyway, and this mm. is probably right why. Um, in Will's opinion, he says uh, this isn't writing; it's a crossword puzzle. Ah. Um, I think it's quite a nice summary if you don't like mysteries that's probably why that's how you read it Um, yeah that's a good line I would say it is writing it's just not writing you happen to enjoy yeah yeah. Um, Will goes on to say uh, crime novels must be about real people in the real world in this story there's not one fully realised character Poirot is a caricature and the suspects are made of such thin paper that they could be sent by airmail and as for Dr. <laughs> Shepard the narrator and then it's just sort of tails off into a sigh <laughs> <laughs> alright thin enough paper they could be sent by airmail first of all what a great line um, <laughs> yeah. and, and very true um, but again I'm not sure that's the point also <laughs> real I, I, I disagree profoundly with the idea that needs novels need to feature real characters in the real world you know write the entire world into your novel i think that's quite unrealistic um yeah and anyway who's he to say that this isn't just how stupid people were in 1926 i wasn't there i think i i think he is i do get his point though insofar as if it's a crime novel if it's a Mm. you know a crime's happened you've got to try and work out who's done it it needs to be grounded in reality Otherwise, you've nothing to, you've no framework to work or, with, or at least a consistent story universe. I would argue. Like, yeah, I don't know yeah. reality. You know, quote quote. I don't know if you can really put that into a novel. I think you can make the mm. story universe consistent, and it is if we imagine a universe in which some a murderer would confess very slowly and keep all of the details from you until the time came for him to reveal. Hmm right like that's the that's the story universe we're we're being asked to buy and that's why i'm mad with it because i don't buy it i don't think any character who's done that would be so interested in writing a compelling narrative mm-hmm. um you know i suppose it, it could be said to be she's trying to justify it right by kind of saying he was writing it as he was going along so obviously he's holding back and it doesn't want it to be a you know he was expecting the last chapter to be a and i did it <laughs> it was yeah. i and nobody guessed um, I suppose, but I, for me, she would need to put a lot more emphasis on the sort of that that device mm-hmm. at the end, and kind of have him explain why he wrote it the way he wrote it instead of being like, "I was expecting to write it as we were going along." <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, good point. Uh, I've got one more review um, to do. We'll do that as our final one. Um, just a little bit more feedback to get through uh, sharkliveroyalpodcast at gmail.com if you want to send mm. your own in um, a couple of things not directly related to uh, Merge of Roger Ackroyd but um, we've had a couple of questions about other podcasts coming up uh, Claudia uh, says uh, Claudia who's from Brooklyn says she's really enjoying the podcast um, we'll be doing the Dance of Dragons Game of Thrones recap soon uh, we will be 
I think we're, we're we planning certainly to, will. Yeah, we're planning to do um, some uh, TBC horror book next for to sort of tie in with Halloween because the next podcast will be coming out around sort of the Halloween weekend. So we will do a horror book then, and then I think Dave will get into Game of Thrones after that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We will. Are we going to do a sort of one shot like we did last time with um, with the Stephen King thing where we did it was a sort of it was a novella. Yeah, we did yeah, it all we could in do one. That. I'll find us a short story to do. Yeah. yeah, yeah, brilliant. Let's do that because I mean, horror lends itself well to short stories. Also, that means that I don't have to read like a massive Garth Marenghi doorstepper of a thing <laughs> for three episodes. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll so we'll do it. We'll do a sort of a, a one-shot wonder with, um, with a horror book for Halloween, spooky mm. horror book, and then and then we'll move on to Game of Thrones. We're probably going to do Dance of Dragons in two parts, just because we'd like to break for a Christmassy theme thing over Christmas. So I'd expect uh, Dance for Dragons will Dance of Dragons um, will be sort of November, early December, and then we'll break over Christmas, and then we'll come back to it in the new year. Um, we've also had a, a someone on. Uh, let me just work. Let me just find this uh, guy. Oh, uh, Casey Cappen uh, on Twitter. Uh, we're on Twitter at Shark, Shark Live Royal. Um, he's suggested that we do Jaws. Um, as the, the book and the film, which sounds Ooh. a great idea. Yeah, um, well, do you know what? I would love to do that because I've never seen Jaws. I've never seen the film. You've never seen Jaws? I've never seen Jaws. Well, What's well, the, for the same for reasons treat- I wasn't allowed to watch Jurassic Park. It was apparently too scary, but they didn't even let me get the novelization. So, <laughs> so fair enough. You know, my, um, my better half, she uh, used to watch Jaws when she was little. Uh, she was allowed to watch it uh, mum let her watch it when she was like quite young but she'd <laughs> mum would fast forward through all the like bits where the shark attacks so, <laughs> so it was it was basically like an H show <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why they had all that dramatic music over them shots of the shark but the shark was great dun, dun, it's, just, dun, 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 dun. it's just people going for a swim I don't know what the big fuss is about <laughs> <laughs> when you're a kid you love anything like that don't you going for a swim the movie <laughs> uh, yeah, so we'll, yeah, we will do Jaws, the book and the film. Um, it'll be similar to the way we did. If you've heard our Jurassic Park coverage, we did sort of a four-part, maybe I think it was five parts. Look at the book Jurassic Park, and then we did the film at the end. Uh, we could do that again. We may have to try and um, shorten our film coverage a bit because it was a it was a marathon, the Jurassic Park one. But that will happen. I'd expect it'll be sometime in the new year because uh, we're we're quite we're quite full we've got some other requests that we've we've got backing up as well so it'll be it will be next year but keep subscribed uh casey cappen and uh we will have we will have a bit of dress uh, a bit of jaws for you later on mm. uh <laughs> as ever i also like to sort of troll down into our junk section of the shark liver oil oh brilliant have we got any more um relatives of deposed and indeed deceased African dictators. She's not messaged again since that, Oh, she's not? She's a shame. We um, should have sent her the money, Matt, shouldn't we, really? Yeah, uh, but we do, have a, we do have an email from one Tony Miller uh, entitled... I don't think... He's not got much to say on Agatha Christie, but he, he does have... Um, this, the subject is apply for urgent loan. Uh, he well, says, hello, I am Tony Miller, a certified and legitimate loan lender. <laughs> <laughs> That's like that thing in The Simpsons, isn't it, where the Mafia Club is called the Legitimate Businessmen's Association. <laughs> I, 
I'm sold straight away. He's got that I front am. and center. Anybody needs to tell you they're legitimate. That just means they're even more legitimate than they would be if they let it be implicit. <laughs> he says, I give out loans to serious individuals. I don't think he's, he's got his target audience right here. I was going to say that. He's not listened to us much, has he? Yeah. Maximum loan, $5 million um, at a rate of 3% interest with a duration of 2 to 20 years. Um, so you can get five million dollars at two percent, three percent interest over two years. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, I, I'm confident I could pay that stuff back. Yeah. All, all we need to do is um is send an email to to Tony Miller Loan Firm, uh, with our name, age, sex for some reason, address, country, contact phone number, occupation, loan amounts, monthly income, and duration, and we're away. So that, well, that giant statue of a shark to go outside <laughs> Shark Live Royal HQ could be realised. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't see how we can turn down such an offer, Matt, to be no. honest. That's genius. Yeah, genius. Tony, Tony, thanks for getting in touch. Um, I yeah. hope, hope you enjoyed our coverage of the murder of Roger Ackroyd. Maybe that means you could offer us a slightly better rate. Maybe you could do us at maybe like 1.5%, 1% loan. Oh, um, Matt, he's already doing so much for us, though, isn't he? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, such terms. Such <laughs> I'd expect, uh, look, I'd expect nothing less from a certified and legitimate loan lender like Tony yeah, fucking hell. If he was certified but illegitimate, <laughs> if he was a certified illegitimate loan, sh- loan operative, um, then I, I'd be very worried. Well, but it's yeah. certified and legitimate at the same time. Can't wait. So, yeah, our, our application will be in the post, Tony. Thanks for that. Um, yeah. If you have anything you'd like to send through to um, Charlotte Royal, we prefer reviews of books or just general chats about the podcast, which is what we get mostly. But um, any other correspondence um, will be read out as well. Uh, just get that email into sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. That's sharkliveroilpodcast at sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. Got to make sure I, I say that properly. And also, <laughs> we're on Twitter at sharkliveroil. Uh, we, last last week, we got into a very short Twitter argument over um, whether Robert Muldoon from uh, Jurassic Park was a bad a badass or not. Come on, it's self-evident he was. <laughs> but so, so, someone, someone highlighted We're really the encouraging dialogue here, aren't we, around the pieces. <laughs> Listen, there are some things we'll argue about, but don't touch Muldoon, all right? Because he'll touch you back. Someone highlighted the uh, the whiteness of his socks as case for the prosecution, which is what? quite a good Real point. men don't wear white socks. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but yeah, you, so you can get us on Twitter as well at Shark Liver Oil um, if you want to contact us there. Uh, but we've come to the end of our. Uh, I, I, I still enjoyed the Agatha Christie read through, even even though the the ending felt like a bit like I've been trolled. Um, I still I still <laughs> liked it. Uh, but we've got the final review here. We've left it to. I normally end with a five star one, but I think the best one I've seen is actually a three star review but it's kind of written almost like it should have been a five-star. It's Harish, and Harish says, uh, No one knows the human heart or the dark passions that can stop it better than Agatha Christie. She's truly the one and only queen of crime. There you go. There you go. Um, Dave, anything to follow up with that? Any final thoughts on Agatha? Um, Only to say that I'm not sorry that we did it this way um, uh, in kind of reading the um in reading it blind and having the you know because it's a mystery novel um and i think it would have killed me to try and keep it in throughout four episodes of a podcast for it um 
But in this final analysis, I'm a little bit sad that it turned out to be a turned out to be one where I ended up being like, oh, that's that's not a good example of the genre, is it? Mm. Um, and everybody says this is her masterpiece, but I, I was a bit like, oh, hmm. um, however, I have read other Agatha Christie novels and they are great, so I'm very glad that we we kind of got around to doing one of hers because yeah, she's fantastic. You know, I, I don't agree at all that this isn't really writing; it's just a very particular kind of writing, which, like comic writing, is actually quite difficult to do properly because mm. you haven't got very many words to do it in. So, um, so all in all, yeah, yeah, I enjoyed it. it. it, it the, the ending basically hangs on the what where you feel the line is for that unreliable narrator device isn't it yeah and yeah, yeah so you know i can see why if you um think that's a legit sort of uh technique to use in the way it's been used in this book it's a fantastic twist and ending and I, and i bet when it came out if no one ever really had come across something like that in a murder mystery before why it'd mm. be so groundbreaking yeah so yeah yeah a lot of good things to be said about that Mm. if you've listened to these four parts and you haven't read it there's probably not a great deal of point because now you know what happens but it is a good read um, <laughs> and <laughs> we'll be back next week with a, a horror book to be confirmed um, I, if, we can, if I can work out which one to do um, I, I will do over the next couple of days I'll stick it out on Twitter so watch the yeah. Twitter account and, uh, and we'll let you know which one we're reading if you like to read along with us and a bit of, a bit of spooky horror reading for the, for the Halloween weekend spooky <laughs> yeah okay until then uh, All right. get curled up with your book with your spooky horror book and uh, enjoy enjoy Halloween and you know when the trick or treat has come give them some sweets they're just trying to make a living uh, 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 to be continued alright <laughs> see you next time laters